listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White. Joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I am delighted to be here, Jeff, and you. I'm doing great. Nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you as well. Happy summer. Indeed, it is. It's, yeah. uh, you know, the... That time we get a few weeks of nice sunny weather. Yeah, yeah. You, can't, uh, you always know us Canadians yeah. here. We talk about weather at the first couple of seconds. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a common thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah there for you sure. Go. Why not? Well, at least we got that obligatory weather commentary out of the way, and we can begin to turn our attention towards something maybe a little bit more entertaining. I, I think. think so, and certainly a, a very um, interesting perspective on something that a lot of people would probably like to be able to do, but maybe aren't really diving into yet. Yeah, and meaning no disrespect to any guest we've ever had on the show, but today's guest is one of my favorites. Maybe my favorite. Ah. This may be the best <laughs> guest we've ever had on the show. We're yeah. having her on again. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm delighted for the conversation. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, and uh, la last time uh, she joined us, we were talking about uh, product data which sounds not that interesting but the way that they went about it is a is a level above just about every other uh, manufacturer i've ever experienced well, i will tell you what if marketers can't get excited about product data then nobody's gonna get excited <laughs> about product data so we may as well uh, get excited about yeah, it. yeah exactly so uh, we're really glad to have yeah. uh, cynthia kellum back from te connectivity and cynthia's title is a long one and i'm going to try and make sure that i get the whole thing but it's a global senior director digital data and customer experience center of excellence did i did i miss a word you did a great job with that i think it basically means she runs the place yeah i think so too i think so too <laughs> welcome to the cooling cynthia lovely to have you back thank you so much i'm happy to be back yeah but look let's um let's just jump right into it here because the subject uh for today is really the notion of customer experience transformation what it means to uh, implement, nurture, and grow a voice of the customer system, uh, and 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 make uh, wise customer-focused decisions on the backbone of solid data. Uh, I think is kind of where we're at today. Yeah. And I'm really curious to see where this goes. Yeah. So tell us a bit about uh, about your new role. Yeah. So um, I've been at TE for about about nine years, and I've been. Uh, leading digital and more recently also leading our customer experience center of excellence and just recently in the past month and a half have taken on uh, leadership for our marketing data insights and analytics function as well uh, which was uh, really um, quite uh, good timing because in our role around leading the customer experience center of excellence we've been starting to focus more and more on the need for better uh, real-time data and insights around our customers um, and exposing and democratizing access to that data and insights uh, to our businesses so that they could make better customer-centric decisions. At the end of the day, customer experience is all about putting the focus on the customer whenever you can, you know, making decisions based on what's going to best benefit the customer in service to the, to the business as well. Um, so the addition of focusing on data insights and analytics has been, again, well-timed and we're really excited to, to take that on. When it comes to the customer experience piece of this, we were, we're really at the beginning of a journey in building a uh, what we're calling a voice of customer system. 
So at TE, we have historically listened to customers in a couple of key ways. Uh, one, we've always listened to customers by capturing feedback through our website, t.com. So um, pretty common to see out there a feedback tab on websites. We have one of those. So customers at any time can let us know um, if they what may be going well or what's not going well. Typically with a feedback tab, it's what's not going well, because a lot of times customers aren't going to proactively give you feedback unless they're feeling some pain and they're irritated about something. Um, we also capture feedback. Uh, it more of a customer satisfaction type of, of feedback through a randomized survey that we serve up to a certain percentage of our customers on the website. And we all also have other types of transactional surveys. So when you do a search for product information, we ask uh, you to let us know if you had any issues finding the product you were looking for. When you order a sample or a, a place an order through our e-commerce process, we ask you how that experience was. If you abandon your cart, we ask you, you know, why you might have abandoned your carts, right? So we always have been listening to our customers that engage with us online. We also have a survey, a CES survey, which is customer, um, a customer effort score survey that we use when customers engage with us for uh, help and support. So when they contact our customer service teams, after they work with our customer service teams and we've resolved that issue, we send out a survey and they let us know how, you know, how hard it was to resolve their issue. Um, so that's another type of way that we capture feedback today. And then the other way, the third way is through an annual NPS survey, which is a net promoter score type of survey. And when we took a look at all these different ways of listening to customers in a standard fashion, or what we'd call a scalable fashion through these mechanisms, we felt that we were really missing many of the touch points customers have with us across their end-to-end -end journey with TE. Um, both uh, and largely those touch points that might be occurring uh, through, for example, sales conversations or uh, when a customer receives their order. Uh, for example, today we don't have any common or standardized way that we capture customer feedback about those key moments in their journeys with us. And I, you know, think I always look to other industries when I'm looking for best practices because industrial manufacturing may not be, it's not really the leader, I think it's fair to say, when it comes to customer experience. And so I like to look uh, uh, outside of our industry. And I mean, you go to a hotel for a visit these days, and as soon as you check out and you're on your way home, you get an email that asks you how your stay was and to uh, oftentimes it's an NPS type of survey. Um, when you, a lot of companies, you, uh, place an order with them, you get a survey. You receive your order, you get a survey. Um, and these companies are using that insight to better understand what are we doing well that we want to do more of or we want to uh, scale further and where do we have opportunity areas. So we look at those best practices and we've said, how, do we, how are we going to apply that within TE? Um, and so, again, we have a, a vision around developing a voice of customer system where we collect uh, customer feedback at key moments all along the journey. And we aggregate that insight along with our operational data to understand where we have true opportunities to um, improve our customer experience and especially improve it in a way that's gonna drive uh, greater business results for us. Is there any concern, Cynthia, about kind of- I mean, Survey fatigue? Yeah, that's where I was yeah. going. Uh, yeah, it's actually exactly what I was gonna say. It's like, <laughs> no, we were talking about four very kind of uh, specific uh, ways that were already kind of in place to collect customer feedback and information. I appreciate that that certainly is not going to capture the entire journey. 
Um, so yeah, has that been a concern or how, and how are you thinking about it slash mitigating it? Great question. So we're a company that is made up of 11 different business units. And uh, what we've learned as we've taken on the customer experience center of excellence uh, role is that different business units were uh, surveying customers in different ways uh, and at different uh, with uh, using different mechanisms. So, you know, one business might have been sending a monthly survey. Another business might have been sending a survey um, uh, every quarter. Um, and we first thing we did was started to build an inventory of all the different ways that we were serving customers. And we also started to uh, you know, speak to our businesses about what they were doing with the results and what they were doing with the insights. Um, and what we found is that in many cases, these surveys were happening. Um, and, and actually, the, those businesses were concerned about survey fatigue, but, uh, but they weren't uh, necessarily doing anything with the insights that they were gathering back. And so we have worked to put together this vision for more of a standard um, approach to surveying that allows us to better manage and monitor uh, how many surveys any one person may be receiving. Uh, but at the end of the day, right, we're a business, to be, we're a B2B company. It's typically not one person per customer. It's actually typically a team of different people that are involved at different stages of the journey. So if we do a survey to a person at a customer when they're looking for products, that may be an engineer on an engineering team. But then when we survey the person who is placing the order, that's maybe someone in purchasing from a different team. And then when we survey a person who is actually on the receiving dock, receiving the delivery, uh, you know, after a production size order, it's a different person. And so a part of, you know, in order to manage the potential risk of survey fatigue, you have to have visibility to all those different people and all the, uh, you know, in the roles that they're in and also uh, be able to manage and control and govern the surveys that are going out so that you address survey fatigue. So I think it's something we keep in mind, um, but it's, uh, and it's only something that we can manage with a, uh, with a system, right, that gives us visibility so that we can we can control it and put rules in place that say we don't, you know, survey a person more than uh, once a quarter, let's say. So is it fair to say that you may actually not be even surveying more, you're just surveying uh, better, better yeah. and, and at the right times mm. and, and making better use of the information as you get it rather than just getting it and letting I have, it collect dust. Yeah. And I have to think too, what, what's interesting about what you said, of course, because we you have these, you know, in these B2B purchasing arrangements, you of course have all of these different, you know, I, I think what was the last, uh, the last estimate, like 13 people involved in a standard B2B transaction. Um, how are you modeling kind of the organization so that you're, you know, you're, you're getting data from the receiver, you're getting data from the procurement person, you're getting data from the engineer. Are you structuring that and kind of modeling the, the purchasing team or the buyer? Yeah, are you able to get around, wrap your arms around the decision-making unit in the organization, yeah. or is that too ambitious? Never too ambitious, uh, but I would say we're, again, really just at the beginning of our journey on, on that path. Um, and at the core of it, of course, is data. Right. If we don't have our data, our customer data, um, and I'm not talking about what's the account number and what's the revenue associated with that account number. I mean, the human element of who are these people? What's their contact information? What role do they play? Uh, that we must have well structured, governed, uh, managed data before we can start doing what you're describing. And uh, 
this just reminds me of the journey that we went on, on around product data. When I think about, you know, hey, we want to solve this product findability pro problem, but we have to start with core product data. It has to start with structure and you have to have it built in and it has to be managed. And it's the same, um, you know, same topic, same solution when it comes to designing this VOC system and getting good insights. So I would say that's absolutely the ambition is to be able to have such good customer data that we can we can map out uh, these decision-making teams. Um, and of course, that doesn't just serve the voice of the customer practice we're talking about that serves account-based marketing and account-based experiences um, and all of, all of those things. Um, so, so yes, in ambition, no, we're definitely not there yet. And we're learning about it day by day. I mean, we had a, team, a call recently with an, one of our operations teams in one of our businesses who's interested in surveying customers after they receive an order. And uh, the idea of designing a survey and sending it out from our from our new enterprise uh, VOC system is easy, right? That's something that's easy for us to do. The hard part is what what data is going to trigger the survey to go out? What where is the data that tells us who that survey should go to? Right? Those are two key questions that we need to answer that have less to do with how we send the survey out and where where the results go and all to do with our internal operations and data management and making sure systems are connected the way that we need them to be. And so we're, we're, we get so excited when a business partner reaches out to us about something like that, because one, it shows that they're interested, so they're pulling. Uh, and two, it's gonna send us on a path of discovery that hopefully will lead us to um, maybe solving for this use case in a way that can scale to our other businesses. Because um, that's also always what we're looking at, which is how do we how do we solve for a problem for one business, but do it in a way that ultimately we can then scale across our enterprise, so we really maximize the value of the solution. I would, you know, when you said Carmen, you know, is that too ambitious? I would have said like this is the one company that there's never anything that's too ambitious <laughs> in terms of creating systems to understand you know, whether it's product data like you worked on before or now there's customer data and customer experience data, you know, you folks really seem to take it seriously around crafting, not just, uh, you know, uh, doing this better or what have you, but actually creating systems that can be used and analyzed and improved upon, you know, you, you seem to, um, you know, create systems that you can that you can also test and see how the systems are working, not there's, just. Uh, there's more vision, I would, I, I think, it's fair to say than what you know often experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. It, and it may just have to do with our size and scale. And I mean, again, I know this came up in our product data discussion, but some the one of the important ways that TEs differentiated in our market is just the massive uh, size of our portfolio, the variety of the products that we that we uh, we make and the many different technology areas that we focus in and application areas that we focus in. Um, and we have this global footprint. And so um, if we want to really maximize value, we we have to think about how we do that at scale and through systems thinking and system based design. And I also just happen to have a real bias for those types of I, that's the stuff that I get excited about. So I'm probably naturally drawn to those challenges as well, um, because I, uh, you know, a, a custom solution that only serves, you know, one percentage of your of your customers um, may be great for that one percent. But if you're trying to, um, you know, tackle a, a much uh, bigger 
size of your uh, portion of your customers, you need to have something that that uh, will work systematically. And so then when it comes to to collecting um, uh, customer information and, and kind of getting these insights, uh, I, I know you talked about surveys. I'm assuming that call mining technology and things of that nature maybe is also at play. That's right. So uh, we have currently using, and I mentioned the platform names, we're using CallMiner uh, in our call centers, uh, specifically with our, uh, we have a team called the Solution Center, and they really serve, uh, take customer calls and chats and emails at scale for our businesses. And we, it's a uh, voice and text analytics um, capability that uh, does real-time classification and sentiment analysis of those calls so that we kind of better understand what are the major call drivers, what what types of call drivers are driving particularly you know, negative sentiment versus positive sentiment um, to help us identify opportunity areas because you might have a large volume of calls in one area, um, right? That are, and so you want to think about, well, there are cost to serve opportunities in uh, creating better self-service for those for those types of calls. Um, and then you might have a smaller volume in another area, but that smaller volume may be particularly, you know, be particularly negative sentiment. And so you want to figure out how to adjust that. And we've started to look at how to tie the data from that uh, sentiment analysis and classification analysis against key performance indicators like churn or revenue or loyalty. Ultimately, we want to be looking at customer lifetime value. Um, so yes, we have that for our call centers, and then we also leverage Qualtrics as our enterprise VOC platform, and they have a great uh, capability called TextIQ, which is does a similar type of classification, automated classification and sentiment analysis of any open field um, text or verbatim comments from customers. And you know, one of the things we're trying to figure out is uh, how, whether we need to ultimately and we do do some sharing, knowledge sharing in the machine learning and um, between the two, but you know, do we need to create a taxonomy around the classification system and a taxonomy around uh, the way that we look at sentiment and the way we maybe tag verbatims to moments in the journey so that we can standardize? Uh, because um, again, ultimately we wanna bubble and roll these things all up into customer journeys and uh, look across the whole journey and even at some point drive more customer journey orchestration. So not just leveraging this data for better insights and understanding um, and better decisioning, but actually automate some of the decisions. So if we know a customer typically is customers are gonna call um, and be unhappy about something, can we automatically proactively send, you know, do X, Y, Z in order to, um, you know, avoid that negative uh, experience for that customer? Or can we use data uh, from our customer insights or from our customer preferences around which channel they prefer and uh, you know, use that to direct our uh, particular type of outreach or uh, routing of a customer, uh, customer contact? I'm curious. Um, it typically would be a bit more of a B2C type uh, thing, but uh, it may be at play here as well. Are you looking at social sentiment analysis in addition to... Um, um, direct interactions. Direct interactions. Yeah. Great question. So we we do have a social uh, analysis platform, but uh, we just don't see quite as, and it's on the major social media platforms. And I would say primarily um, we uh, focus quite a bit on social media for more of our employment brand and employer brand. Not as much so much for uh, you know business engagement. 
Mm -hmm. um, you know, so so we have it, but it's uh, not not as much activity as we have. Um, just again, our own uh, first party uh, data and engagement that happens on our own platforms is just massive. It's significant. The number of sales calls, the number of sales emails, the number of customer service calls and emails. There's just such a rich uh, source of insight in data that we already have on our own uh, our own platform. So that's where we're starting. Very cool. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's bit.ly slash sample ABM. As we you spoke earlier about the democratization of, uh, of, of the information as well, getting it uh, more in the hands of people who can use it to make, make decisions. Um, you know, I guess, what does that look like? Does that just, is that about just being more open when, when a business unit comes to you and says, hey, I want to know about X, Y, or Z? Or is it about uh, creating a dashboards and things of that nature to give them that data uh, more quick glimpse? It's uh, it's more the latter, although it's it's always both uh, because there's both the consultative piece of this and then there's also the, the self-service piece of it. And... Um, and it also goes back to the point that was made earlier about the fact that it's not necessarily about making doing more surveys. It's about taking what we already have and exposing it in more meaningful ways within our businesses so that it can be leveraged to drive to to uh, drive insight and uh, decision making. So it is about making sure we're centralizing that data and exposing it in dashboards and charts and visuals and, and KPIs that uh, that our businesses care about so that they pay attention to it and want to and want to take action on it. Like I mentioned, we've been doing surveys for a while, a while here at TE. Um, the question is, what are we what are we doing with the information that we're getting out of the survey? So when we think about democratization, we um, we've focused quite a bit on a single on this one platform I mentioned, which is Qualtrics, in order to uh, build dashboards. Um, and we're uh, in fact, for the first time this year, we're going to have our NPS, annual NPS survey results in Qualtrics and our businesses will all be accessing their results and interacting with their results using filters and interactivity that's part of the platform um, in Qualtrics. So we're uh, going to learn a lot through that. We're going to learn how well they're able to self-serve, um, how well they're able to um, uh, identify the key insights they want to focus on on the platform, what they still need to uh, go back to raw data in order to um, analyze. And I'm sure we'll, 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 we'll grow from there once we, we get through this process. I wonder, I'm going to have to tease this out because I don't, I don't have a direct question about it, but you know, one, one of the things that you often hear um, from software companies and, and things like that is, you know, I'm thinking of like 37 signals and Basecamp and, and the, of folks of those ilk that, you know, they don't, um, they don't just implement something when somebody asks, you know, so if there's a feature request or a problem or something, they, they wait until there's a critical mass of it or it fits with their vision for where they're going and, and to they take the product. They tend to suggest that doing less is, is better than doing more yeah, poorly. Yeah, basically. for sure. So I, I guess what I'm, what I'm wondering is, are you 
making decisions based on kind of hearing things a number of different times in a number of different ways through varying channels or are you know we would you be actioning individual question um or individual requests or individual feedback directly or or is it more kind of a once once we sort of see the the overall shape of the sentiment then we'll we'll make a decision on what to do but we're not just gonna fight every fire uh, great question and very relevant so um, you know, a number of years ago, when I first joined TE, one of the first things I did was actually uh, add the voice of the customer elements that I described on TE.com because I was focused just on our in our digital channel. And we immediately started sharing on a monthly basis. These are the types of things that we're hearing. You know, this is what we're see seeing. And we and we'd start to identify trends. Um, and sometimes we also shared verbatims because Everyone knows when it comes to customer experience, the best way you can start to build empathy for your customer is to literally have your business leaders read the voice of the customer or even watch a video of a customer kind of describing an issue that they have. Um, so we started doing that too. And one of the things we immediately learned was that the, the challenge with that is that sometimes you have folks that get just really uh, you know, focused on, well, this is the biggest problem we have because I heard this customer say it, we must solve this problem. <laughs> and so we hit the, we hit the empathy uh, uh, trigger, right? And someone was feeling like they really, oh my gosh, this is terrible. This must be an awful problem. And we'd have to always balance that with, yes, this, you know, it is a problem and we should have empathy for that. But ultimately, we need to look at more of the trends and where are the, you know, what segments of customers do we want to focus on? Is this just a one time issue? Is it something that, uh, you know, is it something where we just need to call and talk to this customer and ha have empathy with them on the phone to let them know we're sorry that they had this bad experience? Or is there a systemic problem that's impacting 40, 50 percent of our customers that needs to be solved? And it's really always that I have found um, in this um, role to be always balancing those two things of wanting to needing that empathy. You need your business leaders to really care about their customers and what's causing pain and what's not, but balance it with the data backed uh, insight about what's really going to have an impact or what's really having an impact on how widespread is that yeah exactly absolutely exactly the same thing and in fact and i can't help reflect back on the product data discussion but this even happened with product data where when we first started tackling the product data problem we were sharing at a part level you know we'd get a customer who would complain about a part and say this part is missing the doc is missing a document and we would hear hey are you closing are you making sure that document got added to that part so imagine every every week you get hundreds of individual comments from someone saying this part's missing a document. And we said, look, we can focus on uh, chasing every one of these different pieces of feedback to make sure the document was added to the part. Or we can look at all of our products and all of the documents and see at scale how many are missing documents and instead focus on this kind of higher level KPI that's really more about the system. And but again, it's like this is you've always got to figure out where's the right place to put your energy and time and capacity that's going to make the biggest difference. Um, and there's a, there's a, a, a Bain model of, of customer experience that talks about, which is where NPS came from, uh, the inner loop and the outer loop. And the inner loop is about how do I address the cut, the individual customer and the issue that they brought to me? And then the outer loop is really how do I look at trend? How do I uh, go zoom out to 10,000 foot view? and look at the trends and identify 
where I need to really do root cause analysis and start fixing our system overall versus just that individual customer uh, customer problem. And uh, we the, you want to close the loop in both cases, um, and you just want to be careful to always uh, not think just because someone's being really loud about their individual issue that that deserves that larger outer outer loop analysis and um, and resolution. Yeah, it's yeah. just that we're putting the the cover sheets on the TPS reports now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I had in my head when you were saying that. Um, <laughs> I, you mentioned that the I think you're about, you're about a year into this now. The CX, yeah. So the CX role about a year and a half, and uh, the data analytics and insights role just about a month and a half. Oh, okay, okay. So this is uh, in terms of the overall kind of time horizon or timeline that you see for this this project I'm, I'm sure that it's an ongoing iterative process that never truly ends but is there a is there a time horizon for the heavy lift getting the systems in place et cetera et cetera so uh great great question and i would say uh, what we're focused on now is making sure we have the systems in place and and in fact we feel pretty good that we've we're 80% of the way there and having the basic system in place, which is Qualtrics as our as our one enterprise platform for VSA. That doesn't we also have other systems. I mentioned Call Miner. We have some other systems that we may use, but that we want to use because of our primary platform. Um, and it's where we have our T.com feedback. It's where we have our CES data and feedback. And then it's where we have our NPS data and feedback. And those are the three main enterprise wide ways we capture customer feedback. So the next step is to um, ha work with business units and it's probably one-on-one -on -one business units. So I mentioned one of our business units came and wanted to add a survey upon sur uh, product or order delivery. Uh, so it's basically working with different, we have another business unit who wants to add a survey um, at opportunity creation, which is when our sales team says, oh, I've identified there's a real opportunity here with this customer who's working on this application and is likely to want to order, you know, at volume X number of products. So two different businesses, two different surveys at two different touch points in the journey. But when you, uh, if we work on solving for those and then we look at scaling both of those across the enterprise, suddenly we're starting to fill in this, this overall VO system across the journey. That could take years. It depends on how much our business units lean in um, on that next stage. We can't push that from the center. You know, it's really, we're a BU-led company and it's really up to our businesses. And at the end of the day, if we push a survey to our business, you know, on our business's behalf uh, and they're not interested, then it's gonna be meaningless because no one's gonna look at the data or do anything with it. So we need to have a business that says, I wanna capture feedback at this moment and I'm committed to listening to the, what the customer says and doing something about it. So I would say, you know, probably a couple of years as we to, to build up this end-to-end uh, -end, uh, VOC system where we're capturing feedback at all these different moments. And uh, what I want to be able to do in parallel is start to tie in more of our operational data. So um, that's something that will um, will come in, and then I think uh, as we have richer and richer data sets across the journey. We'll start to look at opportunity for more predictive insights and more orchestrated journeys instead of uh, using the data just for insight and decision making, using that data to actually drive a predictive experience for our customer. And I would have to think that um, it wouldn't be the worst idea to at least try to expose some of the successes that some business units have had uh, to try to encourage other business units to lean into this. 
that is 100% how we do. I mean, that's the only way to drive change at a company that's organized the way we are, which many companies are, is you have to really um, celebrate those wins and also the learnings, uh, celebrate what worked and what didn't work. And uh, that's right. So it's really a community of practice where um, we're helping folks see that they benefit when other business units lean in and uh, they should be curious about what that other business is, is learning about and they should be ready to be fast followers if they're interested. Uh, and we really, we, we count on that uh, happening and it's, it's been a pretty successful operating model for us. The things you, you mentioned kind of overlaying, uh, you know, incorporating other, other data, it, it makes me think of, of uh, you know, a lot of these, industry 4.0 type platforms that are, are measuring things and then synchronizing data from different um, from different sources and kind of showing, you know, well, on, on this day, this happened, but all of these things were going on. And, you know, you can start to make decisions based on that, too. W would you ever be kind of mapping this against production data and, and other types of things like that to get a sense of, you know, this is what was happening in the factory at that time um, while that those components are being produced or, or would that not be useful? I don't know. I love that idea. I mean, that's true. That's really, truly aspirational compared to what we were talking about earlier, I think is a little bit closer in, but what you just described would be, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the dream is to have all of that data available so you can really understand the full, you know, back office to front office, what's happening in every, every different moment so that you can really use machine learning and AI to understand what's really making the impact or where is the issue that you need to focus on solving? Cause, uh, um, cause you're right. I mean, that's, that would be, uh, again, that would be the dream. Um, mm. but, uh, but, uh, and I do think it would be useful, but it's, that one's a little bit even further out <laughs> in the horizon. <laughs> How much of the insights at this stage are being driven just simply by surfacing data that the business units haven't seen before so they can see it and go, Oh, Oh, well, <laughs> Okay. Uh, how much of it is that versus deeper analysis on the data that you're uh, gathering and, and kind of unearthing insights from within it? I'd say about 90% right now is just about exposing what we already have uh, and helping folks contextualize it and understand what it means to their business. Um, and then maybe 10% is, is net new uh, intelligence uh, of on top of that data. I would think that would be encouraging for listeners. I mean, it kind of tells you that yeah. there's there's probably a whole bunch of useful data sitting there that you're just not making use of today, yeah. and it's just about exposing it rather than trying to get too terribly fancy with statistical analysis. I wonder the, though, is the you know is the end well not end state because as you mentioned, it is an iterative, ongoing thing. But to kind of flip that a bit, where you're actually you know, it's not just reactionary, it's actually looking at and, and predicting and, and, you know, getting, getting better at uh, just not responding to exactly what, you know, just the, the things that you're seeing right now. A hundred percent. So what you, what you've described is what I, I'm learning as kind of the, you know, very commonly understood kind of analytics maturity model, where when it comes to insight, you really, you know, at the foundation, first of all, is the data piece. So governed, trusted, standardized, structured, all those things. And then it's really reporting. It's, it's just seeing the results in a way that you can understand. Um, and at the top is, is prediction. And that's where you get more of um, that really, and I totally agree that ultimately you want to flip it 
Uh, and what I'm describing again is that we're really at that base level stage. It's uh, and even the reporting piece requires us to do some fixing of the customer data itself. Um, you know, our customer data today um, it, it you know requires more standardized use and adoption of CRM across our businesses, as an example. So um, if you want to make sure that you're that you know who your customers are, then you need to make sure you're capturing key contact information about them, um, and that it's uh, and that you don't have uh, redundant uh, profiles of a single person across multiple systems, right? So there's a lot of um, basic work we need to do to make sure we have that clean customer data so that we can do the reporting, which again, is probably there's a lot of 90% of, of value right now is in just exposing what we already have in a way that people can make sense of. And then once we have that and it's automated and people know how to use it, that becomes the 10% and the 90% becomes the, all of the predictive insights that, can, uh, that we can do next. Man, I've got to think like um, getting to that level with customer data has to be a bear compared to getting there with product, product data. data yeah. <laughs> you know, because there's just that the, there's a lot more humans kind yeah, of. There's a people element here that's a bit less predictable. Yeah, and yeah. and and some of them are salespeople. God <laughs> love them, but. Uh, <laughs> are you suggesting salespeople can be difficult to well, work with? Well, I'm just saying, it's, it, I guess uh, I don't want to put words into this mouth, but is, <laughs> does this seem like, a, is this a, a bigger hill to climb than the product data integrity hill? Because it seems to me that it is. Yeah, so I think it's, it's, uh, it's a different hill. <laughs> so um, it's a different hill. So yes. So the on the engineering side, we had a couple things, uh, tailwinds, I would call them, right? So we were already using common backend engineering platforms and systems for our data. All of our engineering and product data sat in common platforms and our engineers knew how to use them. And so a lot of the heavy lifting had to do with standardization and normalization, which we talked about, as well as filling in missing data and documents. Now, the hard part about that filling in the missing data and documents, and a lot of it was, was data gaps, is that it required a pretty highly skilled and knowledgeable person to do that. We tried, we tried to use AI, we tried to do data scraping, we tried all these things, none of it delivered high quality uh, engineering data and product data, but so had to be people that were highly skilled and knowledgeable. Um, so that was the that was a heavy lift when it came to the product data piece. For customer data, the, the difference is many of our business units are not using a common CRM, they're not following standard process, they're not following, right? So it is, there's a lot of behavior there. Now, uh, that being said, there may be ways for us to clean and uh, fix the customer data we have uh, in more automated fashions that don't require highly knowledgeable, uh, skilled uh, talent the way that fixing the filling in missing product data did. So it's a different it's a different challenge. I'm not sure yet whether I'm ready to say it's a harder challenge. Um, there may be ways for us to fix this that don't require entirely different behavior from our sales teams. Maybe there's ways for us to better design the CRM system to only allow the entry of data that's already standardized and normalized, right? In fact, I know that that's the case, um, but it's gonna, it's gonna be an interesting journey. Um, and, um, I'm excited to take it on. That's this is the type of problem I like to like to solve. It's, uh, 
I mean, we're, we're already over time because this is so interesting and I think we could keep going <laughs> significantly longer. But, you know, one thing I would like to absolutely do is make sure that we have you back in a year once you've had even more time under your belt and, and see where you are then because uh, this is fascinating and That's when we stuff. can rename it to the, the Cynthia Cohn Show yeah. and just kind of continue. <laughs> yeah. This is a great transition uh, idea, Jeff. I, I, I like it. That. I like it. <laughs> It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show again and uh, to hear about what you're doing. It's uh, it's fascinating stuff. Thanks so much. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.